Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today on Sojourner Truth, we bring you part two of Voices from the 2022 Mass Poor Peoples and Low Wage Workers Assembly and Moral March on Washington and to the polls that was organized by the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. The Poor People's Campaign is demanding that the 140 million poor and low wealth people in the United States from every race, creed, color, sexuality, and place are no longer ignored, dismissed, or pushed to the margins of this country's political, economic, and social agenda. The economic and social costs of poverty and the injustices of systemic racism, militarism, and ecological devastation are unsustainable, and the United States has the wealth to end these interlocking injustices. But this has not been a priority for policymakers. The welfare rights movement encouraged the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King to focus on poverty and months before his assassination, Dr. King called for the first Poor People's Campaign. By the time he called for the campaign, Dr. King had evolved from not only focusing on civil rights, but to campaigning against the interlocking injustices of racism, poverty, and war. Four years ago, growing out of the Moral Mondays movement that took hold in the South of the United States, the Reverend William Barber II and the Reverend Liz Theo Harris, a multiracial team, restarted the Poor People's Campaign. This time, it was named the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and their focus are what is referred to by the PPC as the pillars of evil, the interlocking injustices of the war economy, ecological devastation, and the nation's twisted moral narrative of Christian nationalism, and the nation's twisted moral narrative of religious nationalism. Since then, they have grown into a massive movement with bases in 43 states across the U.S. On June 18th, 2022, that movement came together in Washington, D.C. People from across the nation who were directly impacted by the interlocking injustices named by the PPC shared their stories involving the need for health care and living wages, the day-to-day struggle of not having enough money to survive without impoverishment, voting rights, the nation's failure to respond to COVID-19, especially among impoverished communities, workers' rights, and much more. Tens of thousands traveled from across the United States to attend the event, and thousands more listened online. The assembly brought together generations of people from diverse backgrounds, poor and low-wealth people, state leaders, faith communities, moral allies, unions, and partner and anchor organizations declaring their ongoing commitment to a moral movement to fully address poverty and low wealth from the bottom up. In part two of Voices from the Mass Poor Peoples and Low Wage Workers Assembly and Moral March on Washington and to the polls, you will hear from a variety of speakers, including Bishop William Barber II, co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, the daughter of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, the Reverend Bernice King, 
and First Nations and faith leaders, as well as testimonies from poor and low-income people. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics now for our news headlines. I'm Max Pringle with these headlines. The presidents of Poland and three Baltic nations have arrived in Ukraine to discuss aid for the country in its fight against Russian invaders. The German president had planned to attend but was apparently left off the guest list. More from Feature Story News' Rosie Burchard in Brussels. Lithuanian President Jutanis Nauzeda says he's bringing a message of further political support and military assistance to Kiev during his visit, alongside his Polish and Baltic counterparts. But that's a message German President Frank-Walter Steinmeier won't be delivering in person, as his plans to take part in the trip were rebuffed by Ukraine. Speaking to press on Tuesday, Steinmeier said he was ready to join the visit, but that was something Kiev did not want. In the past, the German president has been criticized for closeness with Russia, but Steinmeier has also spoken publicly about what he calls mistakes in Berlin's past approach to relations with Moscow. Rosie Burchard, Brussels. Ukraine is disputing a Russian report that it has captured more than 1,000 Ukrainian soldiers in the besieged southeastern port of Maripol. Ukrainian presidential advisor Oleski Arostovich did not comment on the alleged surrender. Ukrainian officials say the city remains under their control. Thousands of civilians have been reported killed in the city during the Russian assault. The actual number is expected to be far higher. Meanwhile, a group of Ukrainian Marines in Mariupol, who had been cut off from other Ukrainian units, has been able to reestablish contact. President Biden on Tuesday called Russia's actions in Ukraine a genocide for the first time. But White House officials say U.S. policy toward Russia will not change. Biden said the U.S. will continue to work with allies to investigate apparent war crimes committed by Russian forces in northern Ukraine. Biden made the charge in apparently off-the-cuff remarks in Iowa, where he had promised to ease restrictions on ethanol-infused gasoline to help lower gas prices. Christopher Martinez has more. Biden partially blamed Russia's invasion of Ukraine for sparking inflation and rising gas prices. And in saying that, Biden, for the first time, used language that appears to call Russian atrocities in Ukraine genocide, a term that administration officials have avoided using up to now. Your family budget, your ability to fill up your tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide in a half a world away. Reporting for Pacifica Radio News KPFA, I'm Christopher Martinez. New York City police say a man sought in connection with an attack on a subway train in Brooklyn Tuesday that left 10 people shot is now considered a suspect. Investigators had initially been searching for 62-year-old Frank R. James as a person of interest. Police said that they found keys at the scene to a U-Haul van rented by James in Philadelphia. Authorities were examining social media videos in which James decried the U.S. as a racist place, awash in violence, and sometimes railed against New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Adams told CNN today that the Brooklyn subway shooting is just the latest example of gun laws in the country that are far too lax. We have an overproliferation of guns in our city and in our country. New York Police Department took 1,800 guns off the street. 
in the three and a half months that I have been the mayor. We need to think about that for a moment. Why they continue to flow into our city. Police said the gunman sent off smoke grenades in a crowded subway car and then fired at least 33 shots with a 9mm handgun. Five gunshot victims were in critical condition, but all 10 wounded in the shooting were expected to survive. At least a dozen others who escaped gunshot wounds were treated for smoke inhalation and other injuries. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed a bill into law Tuesday allowing residents to carry handguns in public without a license or background check. The governor signed a second measure that gives concealed weapons permit holders from other states the ability to carry legally in Georgia as well. The Georgia Senate passed what supporters call the Constitutional Carry Act at the beginning of April, sending it to the governor's desk. Standing in front of a crowd of supporters outside Gable Sporting Goods in Douglasville, Kemp said the bill is a public safety measure. During his 2018 campaign for governor, Kemp promised to champion the legislation, but little was done to advance it. The measure was revived this year, now that Kemp faces opposition in this year's primary from former U.S. Republican Senator David Perdue and others. I'm Max Pringle. You're listening to Sojourner Truth on Pacifica Radio. Those were our news headlines, and we will now go to part two of the voices from the mass poor people and low wage workers assembly and moral march on washington organized by the poor people's campaign more than a hundred thousand people are in these streets and on the way buses are still coming millions have joined us online pamela however is not here she died because of poverty and the denial of health care and covid but today joined by these young people who have promised that no matter what happens to us, they will not let this movement go. On this land where our First Nation brothers and sisters lived free. We come here from every corner because there are unnecessarily 140 poor and low wealth people in this country. That's 43% of the nation, 52% of our children, 66 million white people, 26 million black people, 60.9% of black people, 68% of Latinos and natives, and more than 60% of Asians who are entangled in the unjust poverty and bound up by the interlocking realities of systemic racism, voter suppression, refusal to pay a living minimum wage, ecological devastation, denial of health care, inequitable educational opportunity, the war economy, and the false moral narrative of religious nationalism. Here we are today. This level of poverty and greed in this, the richest nation in the history of the world, constitutes a moral crisis and a fundamental failure of the policies of greed. These numbers and interlocking injustices are not just about debates between right and left and moderate, No, this language and categories are too puny for what we face. They represent a crisis of democracy, a shared failure to center poor and low wealth people, the very people who are the greatest moral leaders and survivors in our society and the true bellwether of our well-being. But there is something else that is even more grotesque, the regressive policies which produce 140 million poor and low wealth people are not benign. They are forms of policy murder. 
We know that prior to the pandemic, poor people died at a rate of 700 people a day, 250,000 a year. Poor people have been two to five times more likely to die from COVID during this pandemic so far. And we know this can't simply be explained away by vaccination results. It's related to the discrimination in our policies toward poor and low wealth people. On Monday of this week, the National Academy of Science said more than 330,000 lives could have been saved in during the pandemic if we had simply had a policy of universal health care for all people. A policy which is a human right that should never be connected to your job, but always connected to your humanity. Because many of the people you see here today know these realities, know this pain, this injustice, and this death from personal experience. We knew that we must gather here. We must have, over and over again, a moral meeting in these streets. We are not unlike our forerunners who sought to mend every flaw of this nation. The abolitionists, those who fought against lynching, those who have stood for families, those who have stood for labor rights, those who have stood for civil rights and women's rights and LGBTQ rights and the right for women to control their own bodies. Those who have stood for peace in the time of war those who have demanded that children be treated right, and those who have demanded just immigration policies in a nation full of immigrants. All of these people have come to these same streets to openly expose the moral crises throughout our history. This sacred moral procession has been required at various points in our history to exorcise the demons of greed and hate and racism in our society. They have all recognized that there comes a time we must have a moral meeting, and such is this moment now. This is why we are here, and we won't be silent anymore. We come to this mass Poor People's Low Wage Workers Assembly and Moral March on Washington and to the polls because we must meet this moment. We must meet in the streets. We must meet at the ballot box. We must meet at the political suites of this nation. We have to cry loud from the pulpits and the public square. And we know we're on solid ground from which to raise our critique. Our great moral and constitutional traditions, they give us solid ground to declare that we must establish justice and ensure equal protection under the law for all people. We know that when the nation is moving away from the principles of life, liberty, justice, the pursuit of happiness for all people, and there's been a long train of abuses, that and the nation has become more profitable for a few and less perfect for others. We must correct the nation and we can't be silent 
anymore. We know that our greatest moral traditions in scripture call us to stand up, call us to mourn and refuse to be quiet. Is it not Isaiah that said, woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their rights and make women and children their prey? Holy Scripture from every place calls us to repentance in a time of crisis. From Amos to Isaiah to the Gospels of Jesus, we are told we must gather a remnant of people who are willing to cry in the public square. We know that there are moments when in the anointing we must declare good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind. We must remind every nation that no matter how great she claims her gross domestic product is or how powerful her military is, every nation is under divine judgment until they fully care and fully love for the least of these, the hungry, the outcast, and the left out. And we know that every religious tradition from Judaism to Islam to Unitarianism, not only believe the divine moral of the universe at lit, exists, but moves us by the Spirit to bend the moral law with the weight of our nonviolent actions. Today, make no mistake, America, we are determined to bend the moral law right here once again in America. We are resolved not to stop until we no longer have to fight. We are resolved not to stop until we no longer have breath to breathe or strength to give. We are the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. And together with our allies, we won't be silent anymore. We are, not, we are not here to beg, but to demand. What we are demanding is not radical, it's simply right. We've come to put a face and a voice on these numbers of poverty, to show that behind them, inside them, are real people and real lives. They are us, we are them, and we won't be silent anymore. The very fact that these realities exist means, Dr. West, that we are engaged in a moment that is constitutionally inconsistent, morally indefensible, politically insensitive, economic, and economically insane. As the great prophet of the Harlem Renaissance declared, we must take back our mighty land again. America has never been America to me, but we swear this oath that America will be. We must say with our bodies, with our voices, with our organizing, with our preaching, with our standing, even with our suffering and our sacrifices, that we won't be silent or unseen or unheard anymore. As long as there are 140 million poor and low wealth people in this country, and we know it doesn't have to be this way, we won't be silent anymore. 
as long as there are 87 million people who are uninsured or underinsured and everybody in the Congress gets free health insurance while they vote against us to have the same thing. We won't be silent anymore. As long as caving to the lobbying of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, 49 Republicans and two Democrats refused to vote fairly and denied 32 million people just last year a $15 an hour minimum living wage. We won't be silent anymore. As long as we know this nation will never really deal with inflation and recession until she does right by the poor and low wealth of this country. As long as we have the hypocrites and their audacity to call people essential workers during the pandemic and then treat them like they're expendable when it comes to health care and wages. As long as two Democrats and four Republicans block child income tax credits, lift folk up for a few months out of poverty and then drop them right back to hell in poverty, we won't be silent anymore. As long as people keep asking how much will it cost rather than ask the real cost question how much does it cost for things to stay like they are as long as there are the lies of scarcity and the lies we don't know what to do as long as we have the stealing of native lands and unjust immigration as long as your health and your income can be determined by who you love as long as people go to bed hungry as long as millions of our neighbors are homeless or facing homelessness, as long as four million people can get up every morning and buy unleaded gas and can't buy unleaded water, as long as our military spends twice as much as Iran, Iraq, Russia, and North Korea combined, and we know that just 10% of that bloated military budget could provide health care and public education, we won't be silent anymore as long as 55 million people are facing voter suppression. Let us be clear, we are not simply here for a day. This assembly is to declare the full commitment of a fusion coalition. If you didn't know America, you better ask somebody. We are black, we are brown, we are native, we are Latino, we are Asian, we're young, we're old, we're gay, we're straight, we're trans, we're independent, we're from California to the Carolinas, from Massachusetts, to Mississippi, from Georgia, to the Great Lakes, from the Apache lands, to Alabama, to Appalachia, from Montana, to Missouri, from Alaska, to Arkansas, and we ain't going nowhere. Now is the time for a third reconstruction. We are the rejected, who've been rejected by the politics of trickle-down economics and rejected by neoliberalism. 150 years ago, black and poor whites built the first reconstruction. Over 50 years ago, black and white people and Latinos joined people of faith and followed the prophetic servant leader, Martin Luther King, and took on racism, poverty, and militarism, and a second reconstruction. But now is our time. 
for a third reconstruct. We are not an insurrection, but we are a resurrection. And this is the day that the Lord hath made. This is the day that the stones that the builders rejected are coming together to be the cornerstone of a new reality. And so make no mistake, from the State House to the Congress to the White House, this is no one day on and one day off. This is a movement until children are protected, until sick folk are healed, until low-wage workers are paid, until immigrants are treated fairly, until affordable houses are provided, until the atmosphere, the land, and the water are protected, until saving the world and diplomacy and living in peace is more important than blowing up the world. We won't be silent anymore. If we've got to march, we'll march. If we've got to engage in non-violent direct action, we'll engage. If we've got to give more attention with the media, we'll do it. If we have to ask workers to make election day a labor strike day, as long as God is love, as long as politicians are hurting the people that God won't heal, we say to America, you have made a promise, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. What a day, what a day that will be. But until then, this promise is non-negotiable, and we won't be silent or unseen or unheard in it.
as we stand together, if you will notice at this podium, nobody ever stands by themselves. Forward together. Forward together. Mark Denning, Wisconsin. Three fires, Medewin Lodge. Our way is the way of the heart. Tomorrow is Father's Day. And to all the fathers that have lost their children, I grieve with you. We have lost all three of our children to suicide and pain, killing drugs. Our children should have been given a fighting chance had they gotten the mental health care we all deserve. Our first son, a law school graduate, the first to leave us. It was only 33 days later, his sister, a junior at UW-Madison, Wisconsin, completed her suicide. When she went for help, she was turned away. Too many visits. Their surviving brother spoke in front of her casket and said this. By standing here, I feel like I am betraying them. Two years later, death clothed in an uncaring world. The loneliness of the spirit, unresolved grief aided by opioids before the fentanyl set in. His note written to us, his parents said, sorry for the mess. Jesus. There should have been crime scene tape around every one of their bodies. There should be crime scene tape around every one of our children's bodies that fall in the streets. When the destroyer came to our lands from across the ocean, he wore faces of disease, war, starvation, dispossession, enslavement, trafficking of our young. He lives here still. The destroyer lives here still. One in three of us as native people live in poverty. The suicides of our young. Suicide is up 71% for our men. 139% for our women. I am enraged by the injustice of a healthcare system that does not care. That's right, that's right. For our children. That's right. To remember them is to love them. That's right. Forward together. Not one step back. Forward together. Not one step back. Wow. Forward together. My name is Kenny Alcocer. I'm with Unión de Vecinos and the Los Angeles Tenants Union. I am here today representing the California Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. On Tuesday, June 14th, we got on a bus to be here with you all today. Being here today was our duty, for on this bus, we are bringing with us our dead, 92,085 who have died from COVID. We are bringing 2.6 million undocumented folks from California, 18,000 immigrants that are on the border from Central America and Haiti that are seeking asylum. We are bringing the more than 1.5 million tenants that were not able to pay their rent and are facing evictions. We are bringing the more than 161,000 homeless folks in our communities. We are here today because we see that in Los Angeles and in this nation, there is no political will to finish poverty, systemic racism, ecological devastation, or the war economy. We are here to demand housing for all, yes. rent forgiveness, adequate health care for all, a living wage with benefits, access to affordable and healthy food, to abolish ICE, 
to abolish the police. We are here to protect voting rights. We are here to fight for immigration reform. We are here. We are the poor and dispossessed, and we are here. Yes. We are here to say, solo el pueblo salva el pueblo. We are here, we are saying, we will not be silenced anymore. Forward together. Forward together. To all the fathers that have lost their children, I grieve with you. We have lost all three of our children to suicide and pain and killing drugs. Our children should have been given a fighting chance. Had they gotten the mental health care, we all deserve. Our first son, a law school graduate, the first to leave us. It was only 33 days later, his sister, a junior at UW-Madison, Wisconsin, completed her suicide. When she went for help, she was turned away. Too many visits, Isabel. Their surviving brother spoke in front of her casket and said this. By standing here, I feel like I am betraying them. Two years later, death clothed in an uncaring world. The loneliness of the spirit, unresolved grief, aided by opioids before the fentanyl set in. His note written to us, his parents said, sorry. There should have been crime scene tape around every one of their bodies. There should be crime scene tape around every one of our children's bodies that fall in the streets. When the destroyer came to our lands from across the ocean, he wore faces of disease, war, starvation, dispossession, enslavement, boarding schools, trafficking of our young. He lives here still. The destroyer lives here still. One in three of us as Native people live in poverty. The suicides of our young since 1999, suicide is up 71% for our men, 139% for our women. I am enraged by the injustice of a healthcare system that does not care. That's right, that's right. For our children. That's right. To remember them is to love them. That's right. Forward together. Not one step back. Forward together. Forward together. My name is Kenny Alcocer. I'm with Unión de Vecinos and the Los Angeles Tenants Union. I am here today representing the California Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. For on this bus, we are bringing with us our dead, 92,085 who have died from COVID. We are bringing 2.6 million undocumented folks from California, 18,000 immigrants, that are on the border from Central America and Haiti that are seeking asylum. We are bringing the more than 1.5 million tenants that were not able to pay their rent and are facing evictions. We are bringing the more than 161,000 homeless folks in our communities. We are here today because we see that in Los Angeles and in this nation, there is no political will to finish poverty, systemic racism, ecological devastation, or the war economy. We are here to demand housing for all, yes. rent forgiveness, adequate health care for all, a living wage with benefits, 
access to affordable and healthy food, to abolish ICE, to abolish the police. We are here to protect voting rights. We are here to fight for immigration reform. We are here. We are the poor and dispossessed, and we are here. Yes. We are here to say, solo el pueblo salva el pueblo. We are here, we are saying, we will not be silenced anymore. Forward together. My name is David Lee. I am a Korean American immigrant, and I've been a substitute teacher for eight years, and I'm currently a graduate student at Seattle University. Growing up, hearing the words alien, illegal, or go back to where you came from made me feel unwelcome in the United States. My parents, with English being their second language, also faced many discriminations in the United States. After 20 long years, my parents finally became a naturalized U.S. citizen. But even with their citizenship, my parents continue to struggle today. My father is 64 years old and is a sign builder with a meniscus tear on his knees. But because of our poor health care system, he has not been able to get his knees properly treated. My mother is 57 years old and works as a caregiver to assist with the bills. But because of my parents' financial debt, I do not know when they will be able to retire. Also, with the recent rise in Asian hate crimes, I have realized that regardless of my parents' immigration status, they are not safe in the United States. In response, I have heard our government advocate for the AAPI community. As a Korean American immigrant, I want to say to our leaders in government, true advocacy for the AAPI community begins by not only addressing the hate crimes, but by providing mental health resources and universal health care for poor and working class people. Student loan forgiveness for students like me who would like to pursue their dreams without being in debt. Finally, as a teacher, I want a better future and planet for our children by addressing gun violence and working together to solving our climate crisis. We are the Poor People's Campaign. We won't be silent anymore. We won't be silent anymore. We are now going to take a short station break. Uh, when we return, we will continue with voices from the Mass Poor People's and Low Wage Workers Assembly and Moral March on Washington. This is Margaret Prescott. If you've missed any part of this hour, check us out on our website on SoTrueRadio.org. If you're a member of Facebook, you can look for us and like us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at SoTrueRadio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. Today, we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the great state of Ohio and internationally to our SoundCloud listeners in Singapore. We now return to the second part of part two, the last half of part two of our coverage of the Mass Poor People's and Low Wage Workers Assembly on Moral March on Washington and to the polls. I served in the military. I had to fight years for my military benefits. In Massachusetts, we have over 85,000 veterans that have incomes below $35,000. This is the war on the poor. Domestic tranquility 
is not being secured. I felt cheated, thinking how this country would rather appropriate funds for national defense, having the power to declare war instead of providing funds to lift the load of systemic poverty. And this is wrong. A visible expression of homelessness or poverty is homelessness. That's not promoting the general welfare. It's promoting poverty. While the rich have a winter mansion and a summer home, I have no home. This is social violence in every form. No house, no health, and no hope equals death in the streets. The rich continue to exploit the poor. Unfair housing policies lock us out of affordable apartments. Rents are high and wages are too low. Teacher. We need to cancel the rents. This is why we are fighting. We may be homeless, but we are not helpless. This is why I am in this movement, the Poor People's Campaign. We are the hope of tomorrow. I am the one of the 140 million. While vacant high-rise buildings sit empty, stomachs are empty. Where is the security and blessings of liberty, I ask? How can we go to church on Sunday and walk over a homeless person on Monday? No! We are the workers and we are the people that built this country and this is ours. And we won't be silent anymore. Thank you, Sabina. Four together. My name is Jamel Hill and I'm from Georgia. And I want to talk about the promised land. Abraham and Martin heard the voice of God directing them and listened. Between that time, our founding fathers dreamt of a promised land, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And while we may have crossed into the promised land, now is the time to do more. Like our forefathers, the work is not done after crossing, and now is the time to subdue to overcome poverty and systemic racism, to bring under control the trauma afflicted on our children as almost 50% of children in Georgia are born and raised in poverty. In Georgia, almost half of our children grow up worried, unhappy, frustrated, and anxious. There are few opportunities, but an abundance of feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness. Our children are born without hope. Our children are bullied and judged. They don't get to go on school trips, but they do get to go home every day to gun violence. Overcrowded homes that offer no safe place to do homework or play. Our children are often embarrassed. They lack education and they inherit poverty. We have health issues. We are exploited for labor while we suffer from inflation and lack an ability to invest. We suffer from corruption, disease, insufficiencies, terrorism, high crime, mental illness, starvation, and drug abuse. Here in America, where we have the worst poverty rates out of the world's top 25 economies, we have the working poor who cannot afford health care or are not offered health care. In Georgia, we have poorly funded, understaffed volunteer medical clinics for those that work 
40 plus hours every week yeah. but aren't offered health care. We have homeless people paying $1,500 a month for Airbnbs, while others have homes with no lights, no waters, tin roofs held down by cinder blocks, molded walls, and floors. The working poor who cannot afford a set of four new tires without robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yes. The working poor who, if the AC fridge or stove goes out, we can't afford to buy another. While the rich vacation in their second, third, and fourth homes, we just want to be able to go to the grocery stores. We just want to provide a nutritious meal to our family. But fruit is $15, a salad is $15, and food is $10, and minimum wage is only $7. you all we won't be silent That's anymore. It. That's it. Let us welcome Reverend Dr. Bernice King to respond and say to America why we must listen to these voices. Forward together. 54 years ago, my father launched the Poor People's Campaign to revolutionize the economic landscape of our nation. Unfortunately, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did not live long enough to see it come to fruition. However, on June 19, 1968, my mother, Coretta Scott King, was here in our nation's capital during the initial Poor People's Campaign to deliver a very powerful message on poverty. She stated, and I quote, too long we suffered pious platitudes and made faulty promises to our less fortunate. She made the appeal that poverty is not only a long-standing evil of this nation, but an actual act of violence against the dignity, livelihood, and humanity of its citizens. 54 years later, poverty still has a grip on the soul of our nation. So today, today as a bearer of my parents' legacy, and as the CEO of the King Center, I join in solidarity with the chorus of voices that say we won't be silent anymore. Thank you, Reverend Barber, and thank you, Reverend Theo Harris, for helping to keep this part of my father and mother's legacy alive. And thank you for keeping the movement going. Today, we are here to awaken the conscience of the citizens of this nation. We are calling upon those who have ears to hear, tongues to speak, and hearts to respond to join the movement to rid this nation of the evil and violence of poverty. You have heard the real stories of those who suffered the injustices of our nation. A nation that refuses to open their eyes to the inhumane realities of poverty. A violation of the dignity, worth, and value of people who are made in the image of God and after God's likeness. As we listen to these voices, we can attest to the reality that poverty in all of its forms is violence. We have a moral responsibility to speak up, to stand up, to show up, and never shut up until all of our brothers and sisters can rise from the shackles of oppression, 
depression, suppression, and the real violence of poverty until they are set free to live with the dignity of a livable wage, humane living conditions, just working conditions, access to affordable health care and housing, and the freedom to participate in government, the freedom to prosper in life, and the freedom to peacefully coexist. When I was growing up, my mother used to always remind me and my siblings that somebody has to cut off the chain of violence. Well, I'm asking all people of goodwill and conscience to join us in cutting off this chain of the violence of poverty. I'm asking all citizens, power brokers, and politicians of this nation to pledge their voices and their work toward the elimination of poverty. For those who would argue that there is a deficit of human resources, my response is absolutely not. The deficit is in the human will. 54 years ago, when my father launched the Poor People's Campaign, he called for a revolution of values and a radical redistribution of wealth. I make that same call to our nation today. And do not be fooled into thinking that the issue of poverty is someone else's problem. As my father said, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in, an in a single garment of destiny. What affects one directly affects all indirectly. Have you considered how the existence of poverty in our nation affects all indirectly? Think about it. The last time I checked, the least of these is quickly turning into the most of these. If the current economic crises or my sisters and brothers' stories today haven't put you on notice, let me inform all people of goodwill, even those that believe they are exempt from this epidemic, that poverty won't stop at low-income workers. Poverty won't stop at the stubborn at the suburban middle class. Poverty won't even stop with the business owners and business executives. Poverty is a system that will continue to consume more and more people, beget more violence, disenfranchise millions, and leave even more underserved until our nation and our people commit to creating the beloved community to dismantle it. And it's going to take all of us to do our part to make this happen. We must work from several different angles. While there are those in our society who are turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the ever-increasing rent for poor and low-wage workers, stay tuned because I'm working on a pathway to transition them from being renters to becoming homeowners without the requirement of a credit score. As I stand here today, hearing this pain and suffering that my brothers and sisters who are in the grip of economic injustices and inequities are enduring, the evidence is very clear that this nation is guilty of violence, of theft, of oppression, of exploitation. 
of abuse, of extreme neglect, and the absolute abandonment of the poor, and should be indicted on the misappropriation of resources and the complete misalignment of values, which if corrected through nonviolent direct action could lead to the total direct and immediate abolition of poverty. Too many systems, practices, and politics have sought to silence these voices that we are hearing today and these stories that are being shared. But we refuse to allow silence to reign supreme because I hear a cry coming up from the backside of this nation, from the depths of poverty where life ain't been no crystal state. I hear a cry from the mothers and children that have been left by the wayside. I hear a cry from the cultures that have been suppressed by the hands of poverty. I hear a cry from the hungry, the tired, and the forgotten. I hear a, a fiery cry coming up from the 140 million Americans that won't be quenched by the lukewarm words of apathetic politicians, systemic racism, or the presence of war. A cry that won't be quenched by corporate greed or excessive materialism, but will require a great reckoning and realignment of our morals as a nation. Until we get there, though, we won't be silent anymore. So I encourage you to keep sharing your stories. My brothers and sisters, keep standing up and keep speaking out. Keep your eyes on the prize and know that God Almighty is with us. God's words reminds us that the darkest hour is always before the dawn. So don't you stop now. Don't you get weary in well-doing. Walk together, children. Don't you get weary. Keep working together, children. Don't you get weary. Keep struggling and holding on to together, children. Don't you get weary. Keep mobilizing and organizing and strategizing, Reverend Barber and Reverend Theo and all the people, and don't get weary. Fuss if you got to, fight if you got to, but get over it together, children, and don't get weary. But don't forget to pray together, children, because you might just get weary. But one day, if we continue to walk together, children, we will be able uh, to eliminate poverty, and a new day will dawn. But until then, we won't remain silent. We want you to know your father's death is our resurrection. We're out of time. Today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. And I'd like to thank our board op for today. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. You all, please stay well and safe.